So if you know me, you know that I love to have people over to our home. But over the years, I've learned that no matter how prepared I think I am to have guests, more likely than not, something unforeseen is going to happen. Like the time I invited a group of mothers and their children over for a play date. I let Emma out of my sight for just a few minutes while I put the homemade quiche in the oven. Three minutes before everyone was scheduled to arrive, I found her in the bathroom. She had used the spare rolls of toilet paper to soak up every ounce of water in the toilet. She was wet from head to toe and wads and rolls of toilet paper were scattered all around her. Then there was the gas leak incident that occurred while we were hosting friends. The older home we lived in had a gas hookup for a grill on the edge of our brick patio. The dog's leash got wrapped around it, the old pipe broke, and gas started streaming out. Before long, fire trucks were pulling up in front of the house with sirens blaring. The gas company had workers in our yard, and so many neighbors had gathered to see what was going on that it looked like we were having an impromptu block party. But maybe the most memorable was a small, elegant dinner party we hosted for an international visiting professor. It was complete with a beautifully set table and candlelight. All was going well until I went back into the kitchen to make the final preparations for dessert. I want to confess that this was the only course of the meal that I had not made myself. I took the plastic covering off the store-bought dessert. I laid it on a stove burner that I had forgotten to turn off. And it caught fire. And I mean, it really caught fire. I successfully put out the fire, but not until a strong chemical smell filled our whole house. Despite opening the windows and the doors, our honored guest was convinced that he was being poisoned by toxic chemicals. It took us a long time to get him to come back inside the house. So here is the bottom line. I've learned that no matter how prepared I think I am, a visit to our home will only be perfect if our guests bring a ready-made supply of grace with them when they come. I especially expect this to be the case if the guest I'm preparing for is God. Maybe that's why I'm captured by the voice that we hear about in today's passages from Isaiah and Mark. The voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah goes on to say, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. This passage comes from what is known as Second Isaiah, and it is believed to have been written to the Israelites who are living in exile in Babylon. It's a promise that God will come and save Israel, that God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. By using this passage from Isaiah, Mark is reminding his generation that God's same promise of salvation holds for them too, just as it does for us today. But the question I keep coming back to is this. How do we actually prepare a highway for God? How do we prepare a pathway for God to come to us? Do we have to make things level before God can travel that distance? I hope not, because the tough terrain, the high mountain passes, and the deep gorges, those are exactly what we need God's help to navigate.
Ultimately, we have to trust in the grace of the one who comes. I think this is precisely what it means to have peace in our hearts. The theme for the first week of Advent is hope. But during the second week of Advent, we pray for peace. Peace is not an easy thing to define. I'm thankful for friends like Jay McDaniel and Donna Bowman for introducing me to the work of Alfred North Whitehead. Whitehead is a philosopher who published most of his works during the first half of the 20th century. And I find Whitehead's concept of peace very helpful. For Whitehead, peace involves the recognition that there is a distance, a gap, between God's dreams for the world and the way things are. There is a lack of correspondence between the ideal and our reality. We have to acknowledge this gap because we don't find true peace by failing to see all the tragedy that exists. That's a condition Whitehead calls anesthesia. And we don't find true peace by becoming resigned to this gap either, by deciding that things are hopeless and any effort on our part to try to change them would be futile. Instead, true peace comes with the recognition that the gap between the ideal and our reality, the way things are meant to be and the way things are, that gap can only be completely overcome in God. It is God who makes them one and the same. In the meantime, the knowledge that things are not the way God intends them to be points us to the way that things could be. It gives us purpose, directs our actions, and drives us to continue to work for that day when God will be all in all. That is why our waiting during Advent is not passive. We don't throw up our hands and do nothing until God comes to right the wrongs in the world. But we also don't take the burden all on ourselves, thinking that all hope begins and ends with us. Instead, we recognize that our salvation involves the paradoxical combination of grace and works. In other words, as we read in today's passage from Second Peter, we both wait for and hasten the coming of the kingdom of heaven. In Killian Noe's book, Finding Our Way Home, she retells a story originally told by Theophany, a Cistercian monk living at St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. Theophany says, I saw a monk working alone in the vegetable garden. I squatted down beside him and said, Brother, what is your dream? He just looked straight at me. What a beautiful face he had. I would like to become a monk, he answered. But brother, you are a monk, aren't you? I've been here for 25 years, but I still carry my gun. He drew a revolver from the holster under his robe. It looks so strange, a monk carrying a gun. And they won't, are you saying they won't let you become a monk until you give up your gun? No, it's not that. Most of them don't even know I have it, but I know. Well, then, why don't you give it up? I guess because I've had it so long, I've been hurt a lot, and I've hurt a lot of others. I don't think I could be comfortable without this gun. But you seem pretty uncomfortable with it. Yes, pretty uncomfortable, but I have my dream. Why don't you give me the gun, I whispered. I was beginning to tremble. 
He did. He gave it to me. His tears ran down to the ground, and then he embraced me. No then goes on to add, this readiness to let go, to surrender to that voice which is deeper than all other voices within us, may involve years of seeking and preparation and pain. When it comes, it is always sheer gift. This is the waiting of Advent. This is peace. We work to make the kingdom of heaven a reality on earth, the whole time turning our faces toward God, knowing that at the end of the day our salvation always comes from outside ourselves. It is always a gift, pure grace. It is in this tension and balance of Advent that in the words of Karl Barth, the church, both hurrying and waiting, goes to meet the coming of the Lord. Amen.